My son, since he's been in junior high school, has never had the, the backpack full of books. He carries one thing, and that is an iPad. And everything about his uh, curriculum, all of his homework, all of his assignments, are right there on that iPad. And what that allows him to do is actually be much more productive about getting his work done. He can go collaborate with his friends at a coffee shop. He could be at home and text his teacher and ask a question about a tricky chemistry problem. Or he could be right in class and be engaged in a speaker. And what I'm finding is that as this next generation of worker comes into the workplace, they actually want to work very similar to what my son is experiencing in his education. And while we can see maybe generationally and workforce trends-wise what, what's coming, and we, and we try to keep an eye on that, you know, we also try to pick some points between now and then. So we try to try to peer maybe three to five years on the horizon in terms of, of our roadmaps and our plans. Ideally, those three to five year roadmaps would directionally align to those longer term trends and help move us in that direction. Hello, I'm Paul Miller, and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices and people impacting the new digital worlds where we work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group. And if you'd like more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. Today's episode is a great conversation with three terrific guests, Pete Fields from Wells Fargo, Tony Van Winkle from Adobe and Omar Davina from Hyperscience. And it's all based on a report that we've released called Digital Workplace 2030, preparing now for the digital worlds of work to come. And if you would like to download this report, it's free and available. Please go to digitalworkplacegroup.com and just search on Digital Workplace 2030. You can find it under the Insights tab as well, and you will get your own pristine copy of the report. So, without further ado, I give you Digital Workplace 2030 and my guests for the show today. So, I'm delighted to be joined by three fantastic guests today. Uh, Pete Fields. Pete is one of the digital workplace, digital platforms and social business leaders at Wells Fargo. Also by Tony Van Winkle. Tony is the Senior Director for Employee Experience Solutions at Adobe. And by Omar Davina, who is Vice President of Sales and Customer Success for Hyperscience and AI and enterprise company based in New York. And and Pete, can I just begin with you and 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 really um you know we've chosen to think about 2030. Um that's quite a long time away. Um what do you think the value is um in looking at 2030 through a digital workplace lens? Sure, thanks Paul. You know, that, that is, you're right, that is quite a, quite a while out. And while we can see maybe generationally and workforce trends-wise what, what's coming, and we, and we try to keep an eye on that, 
you know, we also try to pick some points between now and then. So we try to try to peer maybe three to five years on the horizon in terms of, of our roadmaps and our plans. Ideally, those three to five year roadmaps would directionally align to those longer term trends and help move us in that direction. You know, I'd say that we also we try to build in to our to our planning flexibility and adaptability. So as we do performance planning, for example, one of one of our MBOs, our, our, our management by objectives is to um, to to reflect that we can adapt flexibly to things that happen just over the course of one year that we either didn't or couldn't anticipate. You know, I'd say a good example of trying to build in flexibility is that we recently migrated our primary corporate portal to a microservices fabric from a broader kind of enterprise platform. And we did that to build in more flexibility well, for several reasons. One of the primary benefits, though, was to build in more flexibility so that we could adapt as we got more clear around what 2030, for example, might look like. Mm. Okay, so that's 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 really interesting. And, um, and one of the things that you spoke about in the report um, when we chatted um, in San Francisco, Pete, and and we were talking about the, the the third of the sorry the second of the dimensions all around capability, and and the thing that you um, uh, that stayed in my mind from our conversation was your talk about simplicity and the need for simplicity because it's quite easy, isn't it? to think about the future of the digital workplace and to think about, I'll just say, sort of more stuff, more functions, more services. But you really talked about the need to simplify and to get things right. Could you just sort of elaborate on that? Sure. You know, there's a saying that I love, and I wish I knew whom to credit for it, um, but I don't. It goes something like that it takes a smart person to fashion something complex but it requires brilliance to fashion something simple. And just given the increasing you know, pace of change that, 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 that we're all experiencing, given the ever-growing torrent of information that are coming at us, given the proliferation of applications and tools, you know, I, I think that individuals already at their own paces are reaching something of personal tipping points at, at which they require just that beauty and that ease of simplicity. You know, if we think of the, the tools and, and the platforms that typically have been some of the most successful and have gained some of the greatest adoption, so depending on how you define success there, um, they tend to be remarkable primarily in their simplicity. I mean, email at, at its base level is, is terribly simple. Um, SMS text, very simple. Twitter, very basic and rudimentary and, and, and simple. I think you could argue whether Facebook, uh, Facebook falls into that category or, or not. You know, internally, in our experience with things like publishing or content management platforms, for example, while we, we certainly have some professional publishers who need all the richness uh, of an open text or a documentum-type platform, primarily what we see is calls for systems that are more akin to WordPress that, that are, are appreciated for their simplicity. So in all things that we roll out today, we strive for simplicity, and we ask ourselves, can we make it simpler? Mm. And and Tony, it's quite sort of um, counterintuitive, isn't it, to to think about um, the ever evolving and innovating digital spheres that we work in and to think about simplifying rather than creating more um, widgets. Um, I mean, what's your um, uh, kind of feeling about this? 
Right. Well, I think that, um, uh, you know, I'm really aligned to what Pete has to say about simplicity. Um, one of the things that we look to in our world and our approach to design is really removing what we call cognitive load. Um, as you know, Paul, in our environment, um, we have different types of personas here. And one of the personas that we really look at closely is that builder persona, the creatives and the engineers that design and build the beautiful products that Adobe makes, like Photoshop and um, Acrobat and even things in the experience cloud. And the one thing that we want to do is make sure that our employees are doing their best work. To enable that and to remove cognitive load, we have to simplify the environment. So when you think about, for example, just starting a meeting and being able to employ something like video, voice, and content sharing, how could I stitch that together and streamline it so I'm no longer having the user evoke three applications, but I can do that through one simple tap of a button and start a meeting where these innovators can get to task immediately. So I think what Pete has to say about this brilliance of simplicity is something that we're thinking about deeply. And in fact, uh, it's a critical component. It's one of my top priorities for this year and the years to come. Mm. Now, that's that's really interesting. And, and, and Omar, just to kind of bring you in, because you're, uh, you're working in the area of AI and all that that entails. And, and I'm just trying to kind of place that level of innovation um, against this kind of broader desire to create a, a simpler, easier and more effective digital world of work. Um, how do you sort of, if you like, kind of square that circle? Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting question. You, the artificial intelligence and machine learning and uh, natural language processing are certainly um, uh, buzzwords that you, you can't avoid these days. Um, and in some ways, it's really tough to kind of parse out what that might actually mean in reality. You know, it's interesting when I think about 2030, it really is, I mean, in some ways, it feels very, very far away, but it it's only 12 years from now. Uh, and so it makes me kind of think about where we were 12 years ago, right, which is only 2006. And mm -hmm. at the time, I was at a, another technology company that was one of the, one of the first enterprise you know, companies bringing um, web 2.0 technologies like wikis and microblogging and dashboards to the enterprise. And so, you know, we were thinking about how do we help enterprises at the time leverage this kind of newfangled concept called social collaboration to drive, uh, you know, competitive advantage. And in a lot of ways, it was this notion of, you know, helping to, uh, you know, kind of not just um, leverage new technologies, but simplify the way things were being done. And, you know, candidly, there was a lot of initial resistance to it. it uh, you know, back then, it was uh, kind of a new thing to think about. And, 
um, you're kind of wrapping your head around how folks uh, in the workplace might might take to this way of working was uh, took a little bit of convincing. And fast forward, you know, 10, 12 years now, in many ways, we take it for granted. So when I think about where we are with artificial intelligence, especially in the enterprise, I feel like we're very much at the beginning. And I think part of the challenge is there's there's a lot of my marketing hype around it, uh, obviously, and and to the extent that uh, organizations can find a way to um, kind of leverage AI and leverage machine learning in a really tangible way uh, to truly um, not just automate, but uh, augment the way in which uh, people are working. Um, I see that as sort of following the same kind of trajectory that I uh, I mentioned uh, back in 2006. There's going to be a little bit of maybe, maybe skepticism, maybe a little bit of friction at the outset, and then by the time uh, you know it's 2030, I think it'll just be part and parcel of how we work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, one of the um, I mean, the report has four dimensions. In um, the first ones around space, um, and that's the idea that um, this digital future of work will better combine digital and physical space, but also the idea of space from inside the organization to outside to what we call outside, and this increasing blurring of, of space. The second dimension is is around the topic that I mentioned of, of capability. The third dimension is 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 around intelligence that this this digital work world becomes ever smarter, and then the fourth dimension, which we'll come back to a little bit later, is all around uh, beauty. But just to kind of um, pick up Tony on the first dimension around space, and I, I know that uh, Adobe has really um, been thinking about the relationship between physical space and digital space that we work in. And, you know, when you, when you look at that in the context of the report, what do you think the, the improvements, if you like, are that we're, we're likely to see over the coming, not, you know, just two or three years, but over the next um, five, eight, ten years in, in that area? Particularly around space, it's really interesting. We've done a number of studies um, in in the way that we've created and designed spaces here at Adobe, and you know we we did the the swing that many people in industry did. Um, the towers here in San Jose were all offices. Uh, there was an assumption that uh, we needed isolated space to get heads down work done. Um, and then we moved to completely open spaces, and we thought, okay, people really want to collaborate. And in those open spaces, uh, we found that there was a level of um, interaction that happened that was certainly positive, but it didn't provide that private space. And so where we are at today is, again, getting back to the persona work and understanding the journey of the employee is we're starting to look at space in a very different way. And so we need all of those things. We need private space for heads down work. We need public space that allows opportunities for us to have uh, informal conversations. Um, We need larger collaborative private spaces for us to have formal conversations. And 
we've divided the communities into um, what I would call neighborhoods. So uh, these neighborhoods um, start to help us facilitate these informal conversations. And the value of that is that connection that we make could actually result in a new product, uh, a go-to-market strategy, or even solving a critical problem. But we need to allow um, all of these different types of environments to kind of coexist. Um, and so that's what we're thinking about in terms of the physical space. Now, in terms of the digital space, we have the opportunity to deliver information to our employees um, through email, through blog posts, through uh, internet, and all different ways. But we leverage digital um, uh, formats of delivering key messages in the workspace as well. Our, our elevators have digital signage. You can come up the elevator and read about events that are going to happen on the campus. When you go into our cafeterias, you'll see nutri nutritional information that will help you select the right thing for your particular dietary plan. You can see in the garage where there's available parking spaces. All of these things seem like, you know, bells and whistles, but it actually starts to reduce a little bit of the cognitive load. It means that time that I spend trying to look for a parking space is actually reduced because I know exactly where to go to get to the meeting that I need to be in, in three minutes. Uh, to make decisions about what I want to eat and understand that that is gluten-free and I'm not going to have an allergic reaction helps my well-being. And to understand how I can connect with the other human beings on the campus through events that are happening, we're able to use that as we look at delivering digitally uh, information into space. This is Pete. If I could ping a, a bit on, on, on your comments. So earlier this year, I became a digital nomad, um, gave up an office, and decided to intentionally kind of float around digital spaces both home and multiple locations that uh, Wells Fargo offers. Um, and I wouldn't suggest that it was an easy transition for me, you know, being someone who had been in an office for 30 years. It was a really remarkable transition, especially that, especially that sense of not having a home base that I could, could turn to. And I wouldn't say it was an easy transition those first couple of weeks or, or, or even months either. I am definitely, though, finding um, advantages to it that I didn't anticipate. So wherever I go, wherever I land that particular day, often depending on meeting schedules and, and things like that, I'm intentional about checking in. And I find that that exposes my, my presence that I'm there um, to, to colleagues. And colleagues who are there as well will, will likewise be intentional about dropping by. They'll, they'll see that I'm there and they've not seen me in a year perhaps. So they'll swim by. That happened recently with one of our, our CTOs. He said, hey, I saw you in the, in the building. I could not come by. You know, similarly, a very specific outcome, because I was in a different location than I ever would have been otherwise, I bumped into someone who was heading up a, um, a, an internship program with Year Up, in which we participate, and, and she was looking to find more groups to participate in that internship program. We had a good conversation about it. It's since moved forward, and it's very likely that my group will participate now in that internship program that I'm fairly certain we would not have otherwise if I'd been in my, my prior office that day. So and, it's an interesting experience. Yeah, and Pete, do you, do you think that this um, idea of, of space kind of um, uh, 
becoming more fluid uh, also appro- uh, applies to as we're looking into the deep into the next decade to the world what within the organization and the world outside the organization i think we're still kind of currently in a period where there is a sense of the, the what's within and what's without and will we see um, do you feel more of a blurring of of that over the next decade you know, we touched on that when we spoke uh, several months ago in, in San Francisco, Paul, and, and it's one of the interesting dynamics to me, that, that sense of, of permeability, um, and, and people speak of it as, a, as, a, uh, as if it's an inherently fully good and desirable thing. And I'm not sure. I, I'm, I don't necessarily appreciate or understand how that's going to apply necessarily to the enterprise or the corporation where the value of our intellectual property, uh, of our data, um, internal and external, is, is so critical in terms of our credibility and trust and, and who we are and what we do. So I think it will be interesting to see how that evolves. I don't pretend to know the answer on it. Mm. I was going to add just um, I have two perspectives on this, you know, inside and outside and kind of the blurring the boundaries. Um, one, is, one is much more of a... a you know, kind of a personal experience. I, I watch my son who is a teenager now, he's 17. And uh, as we reflect back on kind of the way that things have changed over the past 12 years, his students in the past would carry a backpack to school. My son, since he's been in junior high school, has never had the, the backpack full of books. He carries one thing, and that is an iPad. And everything about his uh, curriculum, all of his homework, all of his assignments are right there on that iPad. And what that allows him to do is actually be much more productive about getting his work done. He can go collaborate with his friends at a coffee shop. He can be at home and text his teacher and ask a question about a tricky chemistry problem. Or he could be right in class and be engaged in a speaker And what I'm finding is that as this next generation of worker comes into the workplace, they actually want to work very similar to what my son is experiencing in his education. They want to be able to not just sit in their assigned cubicle, but they want to go down to the coffee shop. And we just so happen to have one here on campus. But they also want to have uh, what we call work-life integration. There's not a boundary between uh, the day that I'm here at work that's nine to five that no longer exists for many of our employees. They actually come here um, at whatever time uh, makes sense for engaging with employees here, but they continue that work maybe after dinner or after a social engagement from wherever they are. So the solutions that we bring to bear actually need to work everywhere. And they need to consider, uh, Pete, to your point, they need to consider that IP is at risk. Security is a concern. Access needs to be easy. And so, so for us, we're seeing this emerging need to really blur the lines. And, and I can't profess to have that answer uh, for everyone, but certainly at Adobe, we're seeing that become just kind of table stakes. Mm. No, that's that's um, that's that's so interesting, and I love the example of of your your son. And it, it strikes me that it's an example of 
digital and physical combining. But once the work becomes as portable as that, and it then inevitably almost starts to kind of blur the boundaries between um, what we consider inside and outside as as well. Um, Omar, can I just bring you in on the this this third dimension, which is all around intelligence? And obviously, if you're looking at a digital workplace 2030, how could we not have a dimension? all around intelligence. And I just wonder, do you feel that we're, we're sort of expecting too much of this third dimension? Um, you know, there's so much kind of focus, investment, um, some would say hype around it as well. You know, is, is it, are we expecting too much? Well, you know, because you've mentioned 2006, sort of not that long ago. So we'll be in 2030, looking back at 2018, going, did we little, did we really get a little bit ahead of ourselves, or, or what's your, your your thoughts around that? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, I actually wanted to, to maybe chime in on on the last conversation around kind of blurring the the boundaries as well, because I do think it it has some relevance to, to your question as well. Um, I, I I definitely. Um, uh, can empathize with what uh, Tony's describing as a as a parent of, of middle school uh, kids as well. Uh, I would also argue that this sort of blurring of the lines or the permeability of life and work uh, also extends to kind of work itself. And what I mean by that is uh, organizations, whether they're you know small, kind of fast-growing startups like us, or or our customers, which are large enterprises. Oftentimes, we'll think about uh, kind of, uh, you know, the lines between um, employee communications, for example, uh, communications with customers and partners uh, as being uh, very, uh, in some ways, permeable. Uh, At at the very least, uh, most folks are sort of uh, very agilely switching back and forth, right? So you may be uh, you know, for example, I'll use one specific technology as a as a kind of anchor here. Uh, we use Slack. Most of our customers use Slack, and a combination of sort of private Slack channels uh, and more public, you know, sort of community channels where we communicate with uh, folks that might be outside of the the organization is is one example of that kind of permeability and and frankly the agility. Uh, Tony brings up a good point around. You know, how do you have the right governance around that? And how do you make sure that you are uh, building the right sort of walls and, and, and you know, security considerations uh, around those kinds of uh, communications? But uh, following my, my earlier comment around the kind of the value of, of collaboration, I think most workers today sort of very comfortably kind of uh, move uh, between this mode of talking with colleagues versus uh, vendors versus employee, uh, sorry, uh, partners and customers, et cetera. And so in some ways, that's sort of a redefinition of kind of what we know as an organization. And when I think about kind of quote unquote intelligence at a, a macro level, and I think about our, what artificial intelligence might be able to help drive Getting back to your question, uh, Paul, about kind of expectations, uh, it's really hard to say uh, where we might be 12 years from now. But what we do know is that 
um, we continue to generate just huge amounts of data. Uh, organizations create uh, huge amounts of data, and so to the extent that we can leverage things like artificial intelligence and machine learning to harness that data uh, to improve the way we're doing things, uh, the way we are, again, automating and augmenting processes internally, I think all of those things tend to add up to uh, just an increase in overall organizational intelligence. How that's ultimately applied, um, I, I think, will depend on uh, the organization. So it's, it's really hard to tell, but I, I, uh, I sort of have a very optimistic view that uh, wherever we land, it'll be different and better than we are today. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I probably, like all of us, often get asked, so, you know, what do you think about technology and the way it's affecting us? You know, are you, are you optimistic or, or, or pessimistic about it? And, and kind of what I've been saying is that overall I'm optimistic about it, that, that generally this is a net benefit, a net improvement, but doesn't mean that it's a nice, smooth transition. And and we're starting, we, you know, we, we see the the kind of counter effects. And that's, I think, part of what organizations and the workplace needs to um, deal with as, as well. One thing I'm just thinking, listening to what you're saying, Omar, is that it, it could well be that the, the improvement in intelligence in the workplace actually starts to address the point that we discussed right at the beginning, which is around simplicity, that, that just because things become smarter doesn't mean they become more complex. In fact, they might well just become, if you like, to the user, simpler. Uh, I mean, I think that was the experience that, that, that sort of, if you like, shocked everybody with, with the Apple uh, iPod and then the iPhone. It was really not so much that we were bombarded with things to do. It was that something actually worked so, so effortlessly. Um, so uh, I want to make sure that we, we give a little bit of time to talk about the, the fourth dimension uh, around beauty, which I suppose is the, perhaps the more surprising of the, of, of the dimensions. And just to kind of give um, uh, people who are listening uh, a bit of an insight before they download the report, this includes not only things like um, ubiquitous user interfaces, but it looks at issues of health, well-being and happiness, um, creating ethical environments. So digital workplaces that are ethical and sustainable. And sustainable, I think, for, for me, means both physically sustainable, also digitally sustainable. Um, and I think it's very interesting to think about the ethics of your digital workplace. For instance, how will organizations deal with data within the organization? You can track so much more about what people are going to do. Um, and then the, the other kind of aspect to it, as we get into this beauty dimension, which I think is about emotion and relationship and experience, is, is that it is affecting work. And I think, as you said, when you were talking about your son, Tony, when he comes into the world of work, what he will expect from work will be really quite a different 
kind of experience. And I, I do come back to this idea of a digital renaissance of work. And, and, and Pete, maybe um, I could just start to get a, a few thoughts from you around this, this kind of dimension that we struggle to work out what to call it and ended up calling it about beauty. But it, it really encompasses quite a lot of different aspects of the relationship that we have with technology. What's, what's that going to mean, do you think? You know, I, I love that you, that you referenced it as beauty, and that you know we're aware that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so it's very broad and flexible. That 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 notion of beauty, um, like he can apply in, in so many ways. Tony has already touched on it, so she, she spoke about her son uh, no longer needing um, a backpack to carry eight large textbooks, and how much more environmentally friendly is, is that model where we don't have hundreds of thousands, millions of, of school children uh, needing textbooks that, that, have, that have an environmental toll. How much more healthy is it for them? We were raising a generation of children with back problems because they carried <laughs> such heavy backpacks. That's beautiful. Um, my device, my smartphone now recognizes that I have a more complex commuting pattern, and it figured that out. It shows me in the morning on its own with no prompting from me how long it would be to drive to Concord, where I often come in what the train schedule is into the city, where I often go in, um, and, and make life simpler, easier, more beautiful for me in that way. Now, in terms of, of potential, this morning there was a, a significant fire in Concord, and most of the downtown here was cordoned off, and because of it, the traffic was a nightmare. Mm, it, it was not smart enough yet to say your normal commuting pattern has a fire going on at that location, and you have some issues there, which surprised me that I didn't know that already. It speaks to some potential, but but where it's come already, the, the speed of the evolution of it, I think it's just remarkable. So so I, I think there will be ways that it will derive beauty and benefits or drive beauty and benefits that we can't begin to anticipate, and it will just be delightful. Mm. And um, Tony, what's your thoughts around this this fourth dimension of beauty? Yeah, one of one of the things that struck me about um, the definition that you have is, of course, the ethical foundation, but this ability to enable human development, well-being, and fulfillment. And, you know, Paul, I don't know if you recall the first time that I met you, I was going over kind of my strategy and approach for how I was going to tackle this new world around mm. experience for me. But one of the things that I talked to you about was one of my goals is to help the humans become more human. And if we just sit on that just for a moment, I think that that is where the beauty lies, is how can I really enable or get the technology out of the way of the real human connection, the real uh, IP in our business, which comes from the minds and the hands of people. How can I help unlock that and help them with their full potential? The other piece is, you know, our culture here at Adobe is one about connecting to the communities and the environment around us. Um, we have the good fortune of being in real estate. I think 78% of our employees reside in a LEED certified building. And to me, that ethical piece of being in an, an environmental friendly environment where 
we're using recycled materials for our furniture and non-toxic paint that helps the well-being of our employees. And we have amenities like a gym and things like that. We'll, we'll, we'll actually fund your, you know, Fitbit and uh, tools that help you think about you taking care of yourself. Um, and then my job becomes, how do I get back to what Pete was saying is getting back to this brilliance of simplicity so that I can unlock the true beauty, which is not only the visual pleasure of, of interacting with something simple or being a place that inspires me, but um, I can help you connect to other humans so that you can do great work. So those mm. are some of the things that are running through my, through my mind. How can great. I become more human? Yes, and I think that's. Um, I, I think we sometimes forget that this this future that we're moving into is one that we affect, can design, can shape, and can influence. And you know, some of the more, if you like, sinister views of of a digitally controlled and sort of demoralized society. You know, it, 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 it's it's really up to us. And I think one of the th- one of the in, uh, exciting things that is being discussed is that actually technology can enable us to increase our humanity rather than to to decrease it. I mean, Omar, when you look at the report um, overall um, and and the four dimensions that we we've gone through, do you, do you feel we get things right mostly? You, is there anything that you feel uh, we've missed in the report or that you would would want to um, treat differently? No, I, I think overall, I think um, the report gets it gets it right. I would echo uh, the kind of Pete's um, earlier comment that I, you know, love that you included beauty even as a dimension. Uh, and I, I couldn't agree more with uh, with Tony and, and uh, Pete's uh, sort of observations about that. I, I do also think that you know when I hear beauty is in the eye of the beholder, it, it to me it, it means it's in the eye of humans. Right. And um, I, like Tony, uh, firmly believe that the rise of technological capabilities to help organizations augment and automate work will actually serve the purpose of shining a light on the organization's humanness. Uh, And it's an opportunity, actually, for for organizations to uh, sort of... um, extol the virtues of both. I don't think that you can have one necessarily without the other. Uh, and without, you know, maybe uh, opening up a Pandora's box here, I think we've seen that with the recent uh, travails that uh, Facebook has had. Um, I think, you know, here you've got uh, a, a hugely complicated organization that is delivering uh, some amazing technology on the one hand, and on the other hand, uh, a, a increased sort of scrutiny around how, uh, frankly, human the organization is uh, behaving. So, um, so yeah, I think overall uh, it's a it's a really balanced. Uh, the report is a really balanced, um, I think, view of, of what the uh, workplace might look like. And and I actually do really appreciate uh, the fact that you included beauty as a as a dimension. To me, it it uh, it. it um, is an important sort of call out to uh, humanness, and you know our our overall mission here as an AI company at HyperScience is actually to 
unlock uh, new applications of human potential. So uh, it's certainly at the at the forefront of, of what we do. Uh, and mm. so I appreciated that mm. as part of the report. And so um, just like to um, conclude with a, a question for, for each of us, really, which is, um, you know, when we're looking at this digital workplace 2030, this digital work world of work, this digital renaissance of work, um, when you think about it from your own point of view personally, um, how do you think, you know, what's the kind of key thing that in this that you think is going to affect your own life personally in a, in a work sense? Maybe start with you, Pete. Yeah, and I think both Lamar and Tony touched on this, that, that I look forward to, I'm excited about, I'm naturally optimistic to begin with, um, and uh, with, with what for the emerging workplace and ecosystem offer for us, I'm excited about the opportunity for more focus and time spent on things that I'm good at, things that, uh, that energize me, things that I enjoy. I'm excited about less time and focus and energy on administrivia and activities that, that actually require less personal engagement. And I think it was maybe, perhaps it was Tony who touched on um, freeing humans to be more human. I didn't put it the, the, as well as, as you did, Tony. Um, but boy, I think that's just tremendously, uh, the, the potential of that's tremendously empowering. Mm, great. Thank you. And um, Tony, um, how do you, what's, what's the bit that you feel is going to uh, affect you most on a, on a personal uh, level at work, in work? Well, I think it's, I think it's three prongs. Less friction, uh, better decisions, and deeper human interaction, all of which I believe will result in better business outcomes. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And um, Omar, same question to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would echo frankly, what, what uh, Pete said largely, which is, you know, in, in our business, we, we get to learn a lot about the underlying business processes that power some huge organizations. And it's always surprising to me that uh, a lot of these organizations still have under the hood, very repetitive, mundane, uh, you know, kind of time consuming processes that are fairly antiquated and frankly, just, just calcified. They haven't change very much at all. And, and I think uh, having learned that and understanding that now we have an opportunity to, to help sort of uh, remove a lot of friction and turn those processes from a you know, kind of time-consuming, repetitive uh, task to, to much more streamlined tasks is actually kind of delivering on, on the promise of what, uh, you know, kind of technology can bring to the workplace. So I, uh, uh, I'm again very optimistic. I think personally, we'll see we'll see a lot of uh, uh, kind of tangible uh, value out of the the uh, technology for large organizations in the future. Mm. Yeah, I don't know why it's just in my mind, but I I went to we went to see Hamilton last week, and um, God, I completely loved it. But the, one of the lines that stood, struck struck me that just came to me when you were talking, Omar, there was that. Um, it was there was something about um, dying is easy. It's living that's hard, and it's it's kind of like trying to make the most of what we've got is 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 the real opportunity. I think for me, when I think about the the personal impact of this digital world of work, I think about quite a lot really. I mean, I think of the tremendous um, 
opportunities that it's going to afford to young young people coming into work in ways that are so much more rewarding than they they ever used to be because despite all the predictions you know what we actually have is a shortage of people uh, not a shortage of work i think the other one is that and and we can see it already that the these changes and developments in the digital workplace are allowing people to be so much more effective and productive. They really allow you to get so much more done so much more easily. And I think that is um, um, I've certainly experienced during my working life that that you kind of, in a way, make better use of the better parts of yourself um, through this. So I think there's really just um, tremendous opportunities coming from this. So um, thank you so much. I'm sure we could... I've only got through half of the questions that I had, but, you know, I've really appreciated everything that you've contributed to the conversations that we've had. So thank you so much to you, um, Pete. It's been fantastic to have you on, have your contributions, and to Tony and and to you, Omar. And thank you so much to all of you for, for coming on the show today. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. If you'd like more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com and thank you for listening.